My name is Gary Hansen. I'm a campus pastor over at the Meredith Drive campus. It's been a while since I've had the privilege of preaching out here at the bridge. But if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Johnny talk about his friends in Pennsylvania and uh, how they're meeting up in Indiana for Thanksgiving together. So I'm so grateful to be a part of a team so that Johnny and Kayla and their family could have that experience. I'm grateful that uh, Pastor Suzanne was able to take some time last week to step back and catch her breath, uh, because we find ourselves, uh, last week was the beginning of this two-week sermon series, just a a short sermon series in between the conclusion of our all-in campaign that you heard Pastor Johnny talk about during the announcements, and then next week, uh, you're invited back for the beginning of a journey, a journey that Christians are on this time of year, because next Sunday is the beginning of Advent. And with each Sunday, we take a step closer to the light of Bethlehem. So that journey to the nativity scene is one that we would love to have you be a part of. So come back next Sunday morning as we begin that Advent journey together. But as we prepare our hearts to hear God's word this morning, would you please pray with me? Lord God Almighty, you are always making new wine. You are always up to something new. And yet you are consistent from the beginning of time when you called forth order out of chaos, when you proclaimed in drawing out of the very earth those who are created in your image and you said it is not good for you to be alone. You created us for a relationship, relationship with one another and relationship with you. So, Lord, we thank you for this place. We thank you for this room. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather together, to hear your word, to be reminded again of who you are and who you have called us to be. So come, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, pour out your presence in this place that we might see you, that we might hear you, that our hearts might beat in rhythm with yours. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight and your sight alone. For you are our rock and our redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Johnny outed me. Uh, we, we sat down, uh, Suzanne and Johnny and myself, thinking about what we should do with these two weeks. And, and Suzanne said we should focus on gratitude. Uh, So her suggestion for this sermon series title was Gratitude. I thought we could do better than that. Um, Johnny came up with, well, well, let's do Give Thanks. I thought we could do better than that. And I suggested Eucharistia. And Johnny outed me because I suggested it with the assumption that if we used a Greek word, we'd sound really, really smart. So I don't know if that's true. But I also suggested the word because in its original context, this Greek word, eucharistia, carries with it a depth, a context, carries with it a a story that I hope we're able to enter into this morning. And I hope it deepens and widens and, and grounds our understanding of what gratitude, what giving thanks is all about. And I hope that we enter into a space that is critical through the biblical understanding of Eucharistia. It's a space of awe and wonder. Now, I'm a big sports fan. So when I think of spaces of awe and wonder, 
what came to mind was October 15, 1988. Now, if you happen to be a Los Angeles Dodgers fan, then maybe you remember that date. Here's a picture of what happened that night when a beleaguered Kirk Gibson waddled up to the plate. He's got two bum knees and a torn hamstring. They're playing the Oakland Athletics' first game of the World Series. The A's are up four to three. Maybe you've seen the clip. Maybe you know what happens. But if you don't know the story, Vin Scully, the, the storied storyteller of the Los Angeles Dodgers sets the scene and, and he's thinking out loud as Gibson fouls the first two pitches off. He, he thinks out loud for anyone who's tuned in that, that if Gibson hits the ball on the ground, even if it makes its way to the outfield, chances are they're going to throw him out. He, he's a dead duck. The, the opportunities that he has to actually advance the Dodgers into the second game of the World Series with a victory are slim to none or less than slim to none. But maybe you've seen the clip. Maybe you were watching that night because he works it to a 3-2, a full count, and Gibson up there on two bad knees and a torn hamstring gets a backdoor slider and he slaps at it. And as it soars out of Dodger Stadium, Jack Buck to the national audience while Gibson is making his way around. You've seen it, right? Doing the old fist bump as he goes. Jack Buck proclaims, I don't believe what I just saw. I don't believe what I just saw. That's where we're invited this morning. Into a place, into a place where our soul proclaims, how can this be? I, I, I don't believe what is happening. The chances the chances of this meal that we're invited to this morning being the very crux of creation, we proclaim with all of creation, I don't believe what I just saw. And yet that's the narrative that flows through the entirety of Scripture. We're going to turn our attention first to a psalm, Psalm 148, and then to a passage from the New Testament from Luke chapter 19. If you have your Bible with and want to follow along there, that's great. Otherwise, the words are going to be projected up front. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 148. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths. Lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his bidding. You mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars wild animals and all cattle, small creatures and flying birds, kings of the earth and all nations, you princes and all rulers on earth, young men and women, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His splendor is above the earth and the heavens. 
and he has raised up for his people a horn, the praise of all his faithful servants of Israel, the people close to his heart. Praise the Lord. And now from the New Testament, we hear that Jesus, when he entered into that city, in what we have come to know as the triumphal entry, this story is recorded. When he, that's Jesus, came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. If you would have been at the Meredith Drive campus last week, you would have, would have heard Sarah Gregory, and you heard the invitation to Sarah's ordination. And if you're available at 3 o'clock, then, then be there. Be there to celebrate all that God has done through Sarah's life because last Sunday she shared with the folks who gathered over at Meredith Drive the significance when we think about Thanksgiving, when we think about Eucharistia. She, she's shown some light on how all of our stories are a part of God's big story. God's big story intersects with our personal stories in real and significant ways. Sarah shared with the folks there about experiences that she had in college, experiences that she had as a part of the, the search team that eventually called Pastor Suzanne here to Meredith Drive, experiences that she had in seminary that led her to a realization that the place that she was being called was back to her, her home church. Part of Thanksgiving, part of Eucharistia is identifying the ways in which our small stories, our personal stories, intersect with God's big story. If you were here at the bridge last week, you heard Pastor Johnny talk about the, the realization that when Jesus gave thanks, when, when Eucharistia is used in Luke's gospel a little further ahead after the triumphal entry at the Lord's Supper in the upper room, you heard Pastor Johnny bring to our awareness the fact that as faithful Jews gathered for the Passover feast, they gave thanks before the exodus, before they were led out of Egypt. When Jesus lifts up the bread and pours out the cup, he does so before his time of suffering. So into that realization into that realization that, that our thanksgiving isn't a, a response to good things that have happened, but maybe you took away the quote that Pastor Johnny used last week. The quote that says, gratitude is not the reward on the other side of the rapids of life, but gratitude is the paddle that gets us across, Right? Gratitude is in the midst of those rushing waters, in the midst of our stories as they unfold, into those places where we naturally experience uncertainty. Gratitude is that paddle that we hold on to, 
It's the means by which we, we acknowledge that God is a God who keeps his promises. And that God meant it when he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. God doesn't skip over the hard parts of our stories. That's what Sarah shared over at the Meredith Drive campus. And, and this morning, I hope to build on what Pastor Johnny said about gratitude being the paddle that we have in the midst of the, the mighty rushing waters of life by saying this, the paddle only helps when you get in the water. We need to get in the water. We can't skip over or fast forward past the hard stuff. It's why I chose the story of October 15th, 1988, because Kirk Gibson didn't experience that home run in a vacuum. Somebody actually had to throw that backdoor slider, right? Dennis Eckersley happened to be the guy on the mound that night. Eckersley went on to have a Hall of Fame career. And Eckersley, unlike a lot of athletes who are on the receiving end of a defeat, Eckersley, over the course of his life, was able to reflect back on that moment and express, of all things, gratitude. In interviews where, where Gibson and Eckersley sit down together as much older men, they reflect on that moment and what was significant wasn't so much who won or who lost, but it was being present. It was being in the game. It was being in the water, the mighty rushing waters. They both experienced gratitude. You see, there's a, a tension that is necessary for those spaces of awe and wonder to exist. But we can't just turn a blind eye the things that are difficult in life. We can't just pretend away some of the, the realities that weigh us down, and God never calls us to do that. God instead repeatedly and faithfully reminds us that the struggles and the joys are all a part of Eucharistia, that, that joy and struggle are, are a part of this vibrant dance that we are a part of with all of creation. When the stones cry out, they invite us to do the same. There's a wonderful book by the name of 1,000 Gifts. It's written by a woman whose name is Ann Voskamp. And if you were to pick up that book and read it, you'd hear about her personal journey and ways in which in good times, but also in hard times, she has experienced the gift of Eucharistia. And she observes that awakening to joy necessarily means awakening to pain. She says, joy and pain are but two arteries of the one heart that pumps through all those who don't numb themselves to really living. Joy and pain are but two arteries of the one heart that pumps through all those who don't numb themselves to really living. We hear that as individuals. We hear that as a culture who have at the, our fingertips on a perpetual basis the ability to numb ourselves to really living. At least I don't think I'm alone. And when I start feeling feelings I don't want to feel, when I start thinking thoughts I don't want to think, I pull out my cell phone 
I bring up Instagram or Pinterest or Facebook or the app of your choice, and just like that, I live in the illusion that it has no power over my life anymore. I don't have to deal with those uncomfortable situations. The opposite of gratitude, the opposite of Eucharistia isn't anger. It isn't bitterness. It's numbing out. It's refusing to get in the water. It's not willing to see the fullness of the story and just look at our lives as if there were winners and losers and nothing to be gained in both categories. You see, the fullness of what we are called to when we're invited to this table is captured in, in a realization by one of my favorite authors, a man by the name of Richard Foster. And I think he's spot on when he says that distraction is the curse of our age. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of efficient people or busy people, but for present people. How often, when you strike up a conversation with someone, do you try to convince them or convince yourself that you're efficient? How often do you start off a conversation with, with trying to show someone how busy you are? We don't need more efficient people. We don't need more busy people, but my, oh my, we need more present people. And that's exactly who Jesus invites his disciples to be. Again and again and again throughout Scripture, we hear the invitation that Jesus extended to his disciples. It sounds something like this. Consider the ravens. They don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? And consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And don't set your hearts on what you will eat or what you will drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid. Jesus keeps saying that to his disciples. He says it to you this morning. Don't be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's here at Eucharistia. It's here at this table that we are invited and what a great week to be reminded of this. We are invited to just stop. To stop and to look and to listen so that we might be present. We have a tradition at our house. We've started it since our kids were little. But you can't dig into the turkey until first you have shared one thing that you're thankful for. Maybe you do that as well. 
as they've grown, they've gotten much shorter in their responses because they want to get to the mashed potatoes and the stuffing, and I do as well. But this year, I'm going to try to come to that table, to come to that question with an awareness of how important it is to stop, how important it is to be present, how the realness of reality is captured that all of creation, from the sea creatures to the mountaintops, from, from the mighty rushing winds to the stillness of a summer night, all of it with the stones cry out that our God is in control, that our God is weaving together all of our stories into his great big story. So this week, I want you to consider I want you to ask the question, what cultivates a sense of awe and wonder within your soul? It's another way of asking, what are you thankful for? But that sense of awe and wonder that is present in this table, that, that sense that, that when the loaf is lifted up, when the cup is poured out, all of creation holds its breath. That's how John Kelvin thought of this sacrament. That when the cup is poured out, when the bread is lifted up, all of creation holds its breath and proclaims, I can't believe what I just saw. How is it possible? The depth of love that God has for creation, that God has for you and me, that God has. How is it possible that God would send his son and that he would lay his life down as a ransom for many. How can it be there is awe and wonder in this table? And you're invited this morning. If you're weary and heavy burdened, Eucharistia. If you're distracted or zoned out, Eucharistia. If you carry with you stress and burden that is too much for you to bear, Eucharistia. If you have the realities of this world and in physical brokenness or relationships that are strained, Eucharistia. This is a meal for the people of God provided by the living God who knows you by name. This is the place that is the depth of reality in its truest sense. In a moment, the bread will be broken and the cup will be lifted up and all of creation will hold its breath. I caught a glimpse of what that looks like, what that feels like a week ago, Saturday night. Some of us had the opportunity. There were 53 high schoolers and 14 adults up at Hidden Acres. And we gathered around a campfire. And we stood in the silence. And I am so grateful for that experience. Because all who were present in that space could sense the Holy Spirit. We could sense awe and wonder and mystery so much bigger than our lives. And we could feel the truth of this table. Please pray with me.